This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change, Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and everyday people about why we do the things we do. Listen to Choiceology at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. Hey, listeners, a quick warning. Today's episode briefly discusses childhood sexual assault. So if you need to protect yourself, feel free. We understand and appreciate you. Now, on to the show. Imagine we fast forward five years from now. How do you want to feel when you think about your father? I want to feel at peace with any emotions that might come up. I'm aware that there will likely always be emotions. I just want to be, I want to be not so scared of them when I feel them. Welcome to How To. I'm Carvel Wallace. You know, of all the jobs that parents have to do, perhaps the primary one is protection. When we hold that tiny, precious little bundle in our hands, our first thought is, holy shit, you're so small and vulnerable, I'm never going to let anything happen to you. And so you try to protect them as best you can. You don't always succeed, but you always try. I mean, that's what parenting is, right? But what happens when your parent doesn't protect you? What happens when they not only let bad things happen to you, but they doubt and dismiss you when you ask them for help and love? It can be devastating to realize and accept that you are not safe with your own parents. And when that realization comes, sometimes you have to make the heartbreaking decision to separate from them entirely. Well, that's where we find today's listener, Haley. I really had a question about what happens after you make the difficult decision of having to go no contact with a close family member. In my case, it was my father. Can you take us back a little bit uh, and tell us about your relationship with your father, whatever you feel comfortable with sharing? Yeah. So my father and my mother are divorced and they live in separate states. And so I would spend summer times with my dad. And so for three months out of the year, I would get to hang out with my best friend. And while I was there, I had a relative, a cousin who molested me for a period of years from the ages of six to 12. When I finally spoke about that, he told me that it didn't happen or no wait, it did happen, but it was your fault or no wait, it happened. It was your fault. And now we think you might do it to other cousins and other people in the family. And it was just very, it was very twisted when it was talked about. And then of course it was only talked about for maybe 30 minutes. And then my family was very much a, a push it under the rug and don't talk about it. Haley, understandably, had a very hard time with the gaslighting and lack of support from her father. But as a child, she didn't know what to do about it. A few years later, she tried again, this time with another person in the room. We actually did it with a therapist present, and my father was able to manipulate the situation 
because I was, I was still only a child at that time. I was, I think, maybe 15 or 16. After that, Haley did what a lot of survivors of childhood violence do. She became self-contained, independent, high-functioning. Like, if I'm the only person I can trust, then I guess I'm going to have to parent myself. She put herself through college, worked two jobs to graduate without loans. This strategy works until it doesn't. All of a sudden, after I graduated, I started having mental breakdowns about weekly, and I just couldn't figure out why. And then I went to therapy, realized that what I had experienced is actually defined as trauma. So early 2022, like January, February, I kind of approached my father and told him, you know, we don't have a healthy dynamic here. I can't really be myself whenever I speak to you. I have to always put on this this veil and pretend I'm somebody else so that you'll like who I am and you'll you'll uh, engage with me. I, I want to fix this. And surprisingly, he seemed very. He was like, "Oh, okay, yeah. Well, then let's let's work on that." Which is just something I was not expecting. Haley suggested they have a series of phone calls to reestablish a relationship and make it possible for them to show up honestly with one another. The first call went surprisingly okay. But you know how sometimes you think, that was too easy, and you feel like the other shoe's going to drop? Well, 15 minutes into the second phone call, the other shoe dropped. And he just started saying, I made him feel like a terrible father. I make him second guess everything he does and every way he interacts with his children. Because my father does have other kids other than Mm me. And the conversation ended with him saying, you know, when you've got through the past, when you've processed it and you're ready to not bring it up anymore, mm. then we can have a conversation. And I, I said, well, that won't be happening. And then we disconnected and I haven't spoken to him since. And that was April of 2022. For Haley, the situation became pretty clear. It was time to end this relationship, not take a break, not cool off, but end it for good. This will have been the third time that I've really tried to say, hey, mm-hmm. there is a problem here. There's a lot that happens that you haven't acknowledged. And I, I need that. I need you to acknowledge that I'm a, a human being and things happen to me. So how are, have the people in your life reacted to your decision to do this? So I haven't really heard a whole lot from any of my family on my dad's side. I have told my family here in Oklahoma, they were saddened by it and they are all supportive, but it's difficult for them to understand. Right. And I, I feel like I'm very much encouraged to explore my negative emotions about my father around them, but maybe not some of my positive emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll just, for whatever reason, be having a day where I'm just mm-hmm. really missing really missing my dad, not in a way that I want to reestablish the relationship, but just maybe I'm, I have a nice memory of a day. And so I want to share that nice memory. And one of my friends, I love him to pieces, but he said, he said, so how can you miss someone you don't even know? Mm. Me going no contact with a parent is not the same as losing them to death. I'm aware of that. But I would never tell someone whose father had passed away 
how are you missing someone? You it's been a year. You don't know him anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. It's things like that. I I yeah. get difficult because I agree with him. Right. I I'm like I yeah I get it. I don't know why I miss him. I get right. it, dude. Which brings us back to Haley's original question, because she didn't write in asking if she should cut her dad off or how to reconcile with him. Instead, she wants to know how to grieve him. Like, how do you grieve someone who is still living? Collectively, we know what to do when someone dies. Communities rally to support the living, guide them through their grief, prepare food, reminisce on the memories, talk about how they're in a better place now. But we have no traditions, no rituals on how to say goodbye to a parent who is still living. So on today's show, we're going to figure out what to do with this particular kind of grief. And to help us, we're turning to someone who has spent a lot of time not only thinking about situations like Haley's, but living it himself. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Choiceology, an original podcast from Charles Schwab. Choiceology is a show all about the psychology and economics behind our decisions. Each episode shares the latest research in behavioral science and dives into themes like, can we learn to make smarter decisions and the power of do-overs? The show is hosted by Katie Milkman. She's an award-winning behavioral scientist, professor at the Wharton School, and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. In each episode, Katie talks to authors, historians, athletes, Nobel laureates, and everyday people about why we make irrational choices and how we can make better ones to avoid costly mistakes. Listen and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast, or find it wherever you listen. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We're back. And now I want to introduce you to today's expert. Patrick Tehan is a licensed clinical social worker and therapist who specializes in childhood trauma. I do educational content on toxic family systems, inner child work, um, and I practice a model of therapy called RRP, developed by my mentor, that I started off as a client with, like back in the late Mm. 90s. So I went from a range of sort of being um, a very kind of feral, (laughs) traumatized young man, and did a lot of work with her and gradually became a therapist and really got into more like recovery stuff. On his YouTube page, Patrick talks about his family of origin. His father had narcissistic personality disorder, and his mother was deep into alcoholism. He grew up in neglect, domestic violence, and chaos. As he began his healing process, he tried to make his parents understand the harm. Haley, you're describing what I went through when I was 20 years old, of trying to get a parent to get it, and you just keep hitting the wall with immaturity to the point that we have to make this awful choice. So he, too, put up boundaries. 
But as Haley is learning, it can be hard to navigate social situations and deal with unexpected mentions of the parent who is no longer in your life. When I went to my high school reunion, my mom was like the party mom and we could drink at my house. Wow. So years and years gone by, I haven't seen my high school friends, partying friends, people who came to my house in years. And they looked at me, the first thing and we said is, how's your mom? Oh, wow. And we have this huge, pretty traumatizing and then re-traumatizing relationship with this toxic parent. Over the years, we gradually kind of wake up and maybe need some distance. Patrick now works with adults who are healing from childhood trauma. And he says Haley's story sounds familiar. This is kind of like the exact pattern of what it's like to go no contact. And what it's like to try to be able to kind of get some truth or acknowledgement or be seen by a parent who's got a lot of issues going on. There's more therapy work to be done with someone maybe like your dad, because mm -hmm. he's probably like fun loving, you know, there's a lot of good things about him. Oh yeah. But the dark side is he's, it's, he sounds pretty compartmentalized. He sounds pretty immature. That when you tell the truth to them, like, mm -hmm. You left me with that stepfather who was a who was abusive, and you didn't protect me. And now you you got to know that this happened. The immature parent says, "Like, why are you being mean to me? Why oh are you bringing this up to me? I can't believe you're doing this to me." This is a very lonely, isolating experience that is weirdly common and highly patternized. I know it's not easy. It's not what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why for so long, I think that's why for so long I avoided therapy because I knew deep down that this great relationship I had with my dad wasn't real. And that if I dug into it, I was going to lose it. Right. But it was so much healthier for me too. Right. That is very bright what you just said. Because when we're five, when we're 12, when we're nine, there's a small part of us that knows that there's something really off here or something is really amiss. But we're not getting any help being allowed to go there. Like if you, if you picture an eight-year-old who loves their parent, but they're an alcoholic and the family mm -hmm. really enables or sweeps it under the rug or whatever, that eight-year-old is still a bright human being, but they're being traumatized around perception. You know, wait a minute, if they're, if they're so great, why do they keep getting pulled over? If they're so great, why are they like trashing the living room and threatening to kick me out of the house? And then the next day it's mm -hmm. forgotten about, you know what I mean? Like there's yes. things that we remember, but it's just kind of a mess until we get someplace and somebody that says, yeah, that was a big deal. What, that was huge, oh my God. And can you really think about how kind of unsafe and crazy it is when people don't get that? I think it's very, it's very dangerous. But to what you said earlier, it's so shockingly common. Mm -hmm. um, that's also why I, I guess I was really surprised um, that I could find a lot about reconciliation. Yep. But it's that's not what I'm wanting. Right. <laughs> I know the the decision I made was correct for me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just, I guess maybe I need to work on working on the stigma that because I chose this. I don't get to miss him. 
Haley, there isn't a lot of literature or therapies besides grief and loss therapy, like grieving a divorce, grieving a loss of a child. I think that's why I appreciate my mentor so much because the model of therapy, which is a group therapy model, is it's essentially grief work mm. in, on, in two ways. Grieving what life was actually like in that household with those parents. So grieving his reaction to you when you needed help grieving also the good times and you know so there's one level of grief then this other component that's like you know this other companion to that grief is grieving what a healthy response would have looked like so that that concept of if you said a cousin has been abusing me that you're grieving the loss of what a healthy parent would have responded would would have been sitting down with you arranging mm -hmm. a therapist, kind of losing their mind a little bit because it's like, oh my God, you know, and that that's that's a level of grief. Even I can even feel a little spark of sadness there when we don't mm -hmm. have a parent go to bat for us. Well, what's yeah. also missing is the sentence, you didn't deserve that. Yeah, I think all that's of that, thing that comes That sentence it. is never there. Right. Your page was the only page where I've, I've seen any sort of work with even considering what a healthy response would have been to me, it kind of sounded like window shopping, which I've never enjoyed. I've never enjoyed just looking at a bunch of things sure. of like, oh, I could buy these things, but I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just- What's the point of thinking so, about how would, how good mm -hmm. it would have been? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But there is a point because when we think about that, when I modeled how a healthy dad would have responded to their child going through an assault like that, do you know what I mean? Let's get you some help and oh my God and go crazy. Did you feel a little bit of grief as I was talking about that? I felt sadness, but I felt sadness more because, you know, when I was telling my story, I had two parents and my mom really was the one that was like, oh my gosh, okay, I don't know what to do. We've got to get you therapy. Mm. But because my mother was a single mother of three who couldn't afford it, she had to go to my dad. And my dad said, well, I'm not paying for therapy. He's just going to tell her what she wants to hear. So I felt a deep sadness because not only is it, wow, that's really what I wanted, but it's like I didn't even really see I was, someone was trying to get me that. Mm. There's a lot there. You know? I want to give that a moment. Yeah. This does seem like a good time to take a moment, because what do you do with that? With the idea that the response you needed was actually right there for you, and you were kept from it. You know, this work of re-examining and re-understanding the past comes with a kind of layered grief that Patrick is talking about. Grief for what it was, grief for what it wasn't, grief for what it could have been, for what it almost was. So many layers. And it gets even more complicated if you still have fond memories of the person who harmed you, if you still, on some level, love them and miss them. How do you sort through all that? Well, this brings us back to what separates the experience of losing a loved one to death and losing a loved one because you've gone no contact. That difference, of course, is community. When I was doing my own healing work, I was waiting tables, isolated from family. I moved away. I moved into the city. I'm paying my own rent. I'm like 20 years old. And I would, you know, have these coworkers and they'd be like, Patrick, what are you doing on the 4th? 
And I had to lie because the reality was is on the fourth or a family holiday or Thanksgiving or whatever, I was going to be in a coffee shop smoking cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And there's no community really. There's, you know what I mean? Like that's a very isolating experience. So thank God around that time is I had my group and we were all going through different various kind of levels of cutoffs. We need to find our people in this who get it because it's such a divisive issue. You know what I mean? Like, I can't tell you how many clients that I've gone, they've they've even contacted the cousin who used to go to those pool parties where something happened and maybe they'll get it. And that cousin's just like, oh no, I love those, I had no idea, you know what I mean? And you should go talk to your dad about that thing because I don't think you have him right. You know what I mean? Like that's really the common mm -hmm. experience about it. So mm -hmm. um, you can do it with an individual therapist in a good, in a, I think in a good enough way, but I think to just be, to be able to connect with people. Mm -hmm. I, needed, I needed that because you just feel like such an odd duck in the world. When you talk about community, that makes so much sense. Um, it, I mean, I want to say that it seems silly to me that, it, that I hadn't considered that before, but I, I don't think I've considered it because I'm just, well, one, for reasons I think we can all agree are apparent. I'm a very independent person by nature. Anyways, <laughs> I want to try to do everything myself, mm -hmm. <laughs> but also the people that I have kind of opened up to about this. It's been a select few, but they haven't been the greatest responses. So then I stopped. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I really need to keep looking because just to, to talk to somebody else, like you said, that has also gone through this and, you know, what do they do on Father's Day? I just, uh, right. That would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to hear exactly where people like Haley can find a supportive community. Stay with us. Hey, how-to listeners. We are quickly approaching the new year that really flew by, and we want to know what are the goals that you are looking to tackle in 2024, whether that's working on wellness goals, mental health habits, connecting with others, or something else entirely. Help us help you become the human that you want to be. Email us at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. This episode is brought to you by Defender. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions, built for the modern explorer, the Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. And cargo capacity means more room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. 
Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. A vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. On Death, Sex, and Money, we feature interviews with you, our community of listeners, getting honest about uncomfortable things. I developed an illness where it isn't safe for me to drive. A friend once said to me, sex is like air. You don't think about it until you're not getting enough. This is a similar sort of thing if you just replace sex with driving. Listen to Death, Sex, and Money wherever you get podcasts. We're back with our listener Haley and Patrick Tehan. Before the break, Patrick was explaining that grief really needs to happen in community. But the next question is, okay, great, but where do I find it? We're training RRP therapists to start groups, 12-step programs that are focused on family dysfunction. Mm. That can be a bit hit or miss, though, because you really have to kind of find the right meeting. Um, I love 12-step programs, but they, they're not run by professionals. You just kind of have to go into it with a mindset of um, you take what you need and leave the rest because mm-hmm. they can be really, really triggering. I have wonderful people in 12-step, and then I've met people that are like, but she's your mom, and she was sick too, and what are you going to do, you know? So there's, right. there can be that invalidating kind of quality to it. Um, forums, I run a community. It's It's a larger community of sort of like people where – we're doing sort of coursework on childhood trauma, but we meet twice a month on, over Zoom to go over Q and A's. But there's a community feel to that because those those people are they have the going no contact questions, you know. And I don't want to turn this into a commercial about my about my blah blah blah, sure. blah, blah whatever. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But you 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 do have to find the forums, the Reddit pages. Yeah. But we're in a weird world right now where I think. The more in-person, face-to-face, cups of coffee, eye contact with other survivors is yeah. the really the place to feel like you're you're not crazy, to be blunt, because that's what this feels like. Or the yeah. family a-hole is really another kind of vibe to it. Yes. Yes. Very much like the, well, don't say something that might tick Haley off. She'll never talk to you again. Yes. I'm like, Aunt Alice, you wish. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah, this kind of gets to my second question, which is part of being able to navigate the grief is to be around other people and even navigate some of the more difficult stuff. But we also know that we're not going no contact with every person in the family. We're going no contact with one person. And and with the other people, we are doing a little bit of that thing of like, I'm just going to accept Aunt Alice, who's unfortunately catching strays in this conversation. I'm just going to, we're just going to accept Aunt Alice as she is, the way that people are telling us to do with our father. And so I guess, uh, yeah, I want to hear a little bit about that sort of second level of like how we navigate the people around. Like, it's like, we know what we're doing with this one person, but how do we navigate the people around? Yeah. Haley, could I ask you a little bit about that? Is that relevant to your situation? Like, who do you oh, who do you y- talk with? Who do you don't? What's uh... you can definitely ask. I don't know if I'm following what people should do. Um, <laughs> I I can't talk to any of my aunts either because they are 
either just as toxic or more toxic to me than my father. But mm-hmm. my grandparents, my father's parents, I still talk to them and I'm very blunt with them. And I think it's because I, I know I don't have a whole lot of time with them left. And so I just want to be as genuine as I can with them. And then of course, like my mom's side of the family here, anytime I'm having a bad day and I'm really annoyed at him and I just want to maybe verbalize that they're like, you know, yeah, F all of our dads, none of them were around, man, we don't need no man. And then Mm. on the days when it's like, gosh, I remember, you know, my dad going to McDonald's to get me something to eat at three in the morning because my stepmom was like crazy about having no meat in the house when she was in her third trimester of pregnancy. And my dad was like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And he would like give me, and he would, he would like sneak me burgers and stuff. Um, I tried to have like a little reminiscence about that with one of my sisters. And she said, she just said, so do we like him or do we hate him? I don't understand. Mm, right. So it is, it's hard to, uh, walk that line. The last part that you said about the sister's response is a little bit pretty pretty black and white. You know what I mean? Like very dichotomous. You're either with him or against him or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that story about the McDonald's is, is both heartfelt but also frustrating where he can <laughs> rally for you. And I, hopefully I'm not, I'm not trying to break your heart on this, but he can rally for you around something like that. But going to three McDonald's at 3am is easier than really believing you about something. That's another part of the grieving process. How does that make you feel that he would go do that, but not believe you about bigger things? And that may sort of help. I'm not sort of saying you totally, cause I still, I still miss my parent. We, we, we were best buds. Do you know what I mean? But the same mm-hmm. stuff, immaturity, unable to go to bat for their kid, unable to be protective, unable to watch their reactions. So mm-hmm. it's a hard, mm-hmm. hard thing. You know, my parent was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And um, I miss that. But in a way, sometimes our brains and other people around us kind of go, well, which is it? Mm-hmm. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. come on, she was cool. She went to yeah. she went to your rock show at a at a at a drag queen bar and was talking to everybody. That was my mom. I'm playing yeah. drums at a show at a wow. drag queen bar in the 90s and we, we had the best night. You know what I mean? Wow. And it's just like my mom was very cool in some ways. But she wouldn't have protected me if I was around someone bad. I'm not saying in that bar. I'm just saying life in mm-hmm. general. She wouldn't mm-hmm. protect me or put down alcohol and show up for me mm-hmm. in a way that w- what I needed. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, you know, the listener can't see I'm doing this up and down hand thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's, it, it's a lot of stuff to figure out. Well, it also makes me wonder about guilt, um, yeah. as a feeling what I think happens for me, uh, in similar situations. And I'm, this, I know this isn't about my thing, but is that, um, whenever I'm reminded of those good things, then my brain starts to go, oh, wait a second. This person was actually cool. Why did you have to react so, why Why are you so dramatic? Why did you have to, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people are right about you. You just, you just overreact and you cut people off and you're not healthy, you know? Yeah. And so every one of those good feelings where I miss the person, 
um, immediately comes with this secondary, this second arrow of like, maybe you shouldn't have done this at all. Maybe you've mm -hmm. made a huge mistake and everyone else knows it except you. So I just, I, first I want to know, Haley, if you relate to that, it looks like you do. And then I want to hear how we deal with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, kind of like what Patrick was saying, how my sister was very black and white. Part of what's so frustrating is I don't want that to be the response I get from my loved ones, but it's frustrating because that's the response I'm giving myself. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, God, Haley. Yeah. In your question, Carvel, I think is the essence of healing around this stuff. Often clients who go no contact, the inner child pops up and goes, but what if they were right? They've always said I was a pain in the ass. They've always said, I go to a big place. They've always said I've had unrealistic expectations. That's what I call the battle going forward. Okay, so this is where some relearning may need to happen. Because for most survivors, there's a little voice inside your head that replays the unkind narratives you've heard about yourself ever since you were little. And it becomes even harder when an external voice is echoing that very same unkind narrative. And when your inner child is in crisis, those voices, both inside and outside of you, become really, really loud. That's why I stress community. Mm -hmm. That have a cup of coffee with someone like, yep, my inner child woke me up at 2 a.m. the other night saying that I broke mom's heart because I cut off dad mm -hmm. and I'm the guilt and the shame of it. Do you guys kind of follow what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also want to ask too about um, the, you know, the, the whole screwy part about families is that they're our first model for what love is supposed to look and feel like. Well said. And even, and, and if that, if that model is really fucked up, then mm -hmm. we have a really hard time calibrating when we're out in the world has been my experience. Mm -hmm. You know, that there's that feeling of like, I have to be the good kid. I have to be the, you know, like the one who, who like does everything perfectly so that people will give the kind of love that I wouldn't feel like I wouldn't be able to get otherwise. All right. So then I go out to the world and then I link myself up with people who also are like that. I'm only going to love you under these very specific tight circumstances. Uh, and so as I grow older, I cut these people off and then I have these other people in my life who are like, oh, I, I love you just the way you are. Just be who you are. Mm -hmm. And I am so confused by that. I doubt that. I'm like, that can't be a real thing. This has got to be some kind of scam. You're a scam artist and I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. So I guess it's that. I mean, I'm saying all this to set up this question, which is mm -hmm. for Haley or anyone who has come from a family that has been the kind of family that you have to leave, how do you learn to seek love in healthier places? Because that's part of the grief too, right? Is that, mm -hmm. yeah, the family, we these people were bad or whatever, but also, wait, that was, what if that's the only place we can get love? What if that's it? I mean- Oh, shit. Is, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. That's it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that was it. That's all you get. I gotta go back there? <laughs> um, Leaving my family, I didn't have a healthy sense of self until I found people who could help me with that in a group. So it's mm. a little bit like finding a surrogate family. So for some people, mm. that's really a loving, accepting partner. But I was in a group of seven other people that 
all of us were coming in, we were really, I'm going to be crass here, all of us were coming in and in, in, diff in different ways, we were all telling each other, I'm a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I'm a bad kid. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, this is, you know, acting all that. But then in that, those people were able to tell me, actually, no, you're not. Another part of grieving is eventually when someone hits the tipping point in their recovery is when the inner child goes, oh, I was a good kid. Oh, I am lovable. Now we're dealing with a new level of grief because then, oh, I've been lovable the whole time and all that stuff was unnecessary. So it's, it's complicated. I want to return to something about knowing who's safe, um, and, I, and I just am curious about how do we change how we understand what is safe, because a lot of times in coming from trauma, we don't, our, our radar, mm -hmm. our sort of like, uh, you know, checklist for what is safe is actually sort of based on like our own trauma, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah. yeah, great question. When we grow up in dysfunction, the trauma is usually around things like betrayal, but also kind of trauma or damage to perception. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just say hypothetically, we have a parent that keeps choosing really terrible partners. Mm -hmm. The child learns that it's almost just like, I guess boyfriends and girlfriends are just a roll of the dice and you don't pay attention to who the person is or what they do, mm -hmm. you know? So mm -hmm. like they're right there, there's gonna be, have to be some work about kind of slowing down and judging someone's character. Like this was really huge for me. Working on your perception it's really really having to learn how to rethink again I know. that's I know. because I, I i grew up i'm not supposed to think i'm supposed to do what i'm told i'm supposed to be quiet i'm supposed to not yeah. be seen i yeah. so i i was having to learn how to think yeah. and it was it's surprisingly difficult well it's also weird too because other thing happens where you learn to um literally close off i always refer to it as like you close off certain rooms in your brain where you're just like i can't if i were to use that tool of perception i would perceive a lot of stuff i don't want to perceive or i'd be so i don't i don't even use that tool so then yes so then you build a whole world with all these other rooms and then you go out to date or be in relationship and so you still are missing very obvious things because this room of perception has been you shut it off when you were like nine because you learned that if you kept that one open you'd be in a lot of pain um, yeah. So like, it's like about opening up like certain ways of perceiving things. It's like that. I've just noticed so many things that I'm like, uh, that become obvious later in relationships that I'm like, wait, I saw that at the beginning. Why did I, Yeah. what did I do with right. that information when it first <laughs> appeared to me? Right. <laughs> like, and then I go, yeah. oh my God, there's a whole weird process in there where mm -hmm. I like metabolize things weird and shut them out and re-explain them and throw them away and chop them up. Yeah. I feel like I'm very good at dismissing dismissing things away. I take right. the bare minimum and I'm like, oh, yep, that's it. That yeah. explains it. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. I think yeah. it tells us that our inner child is doing the dating mm -hmm. where they have some magical thinking mm -hmm. about how it's going to go and they don't know how to ask questions or discern. So there's, you know, there's, it's almost like something of just like hoping for the best mm -hmm. and ignoring a lot of those yeah. kind of things you know it's like mm -hmm. one other uh, you know it's such a rich conversation the other piece is that if a question for both of you did your parents not catch red flags or ignore them carvel <laughs> you want to jump in on this one? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh my dad definitely ignored them right. and Obviously. um my mom would catch 
what I think she perceived as red flags, but mm-hmm. to to other people, we were like, okay, it, mm-hmm. they didn't seem like real red flags, but I, so she was always looking for them. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for me, it's been, well, I was, I was raised by different uh, parents throughout my life. I had uh, one of those situations where I went to different households with different families. And so I saw different things. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely, I saw people who seemed to refuse to acknowledge the obvious. And that used to make me feel kind of crazy when I was, yeah. a, when I was a kid and a teenager. Like, mm. am I, mm-hmm. are we, you know? And so that, that was definitely something that I, and I think as an adult, the time I, when I've been in situations where it's, where I've been the one being like, perhaps we should acknowledge the obvious here. And the other person's been like, what are you talking about? It is very much triggered like ancient feelings dating back to, you know, like the Reagan administration or whatever. <laughs> That's how it, that's how it works, you know. Yeah. That's really how it works. Like you know, growing up, the house could have been on fire, and someone's like, "Who wants brownies?" You know, or mm-hmm. you know, or something like that. They're just so removed from it, and it's it's interesting what you just said because I find that we, in a disaster in our childhoods, we weren't allowed to talk about it or feel it. We just had to be private about it. But in the present, it's almost like we're safer to get mad at somebody for not seeing things. So I love what you just said. So if you're triggered by someone, if you're like raising up an issue and they're like, oh, whatever, you know, it's fine. I don't, I don't think it's a big deal at all. And are you saying that that triggers you? Uh, it makes me doubt myself. That's what happens. It, mm-hmm. it, and then when I doubt myself, then I, then I really feel like I have nothing to hold on to. I have no, I have no, I have no, I'm, I'm, I'm at everyone's whim. That's the thing. Then anything can happen. Got it. Okay. Because my powers of perception have been. Mm-hmm disabled right it gets compounded mm-hmm. we have these reactions with people that mm-hmm. we wouldn't have really chosen do you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. like it would be wonderful to be like if someone is just like i don't think it's a big deal and you're like well i kind of think it is and you don't have all these big mm-hmm. feelings about it you know <laughs> mm-hmm. no i think you're exactly right Haley, do you experience that that feeling of like you're triggered really in a relationship with someone in the moment, but it's really because you wish you had been able to express this at someone many years ago. I definitely feel like I experienced that. I also, I joke with my friends that that's why I cry all the Mm -hmm. time at everything. Mm -hmm. Um, because Mm -hmm. I just never let myself about anything I was going through. And so now it's just any, any sort of triggering thing that might be like, hey, maybe a pregnant woman would cry at this. I'll cry at it. (laughs) And I'm, (laughs) yeah. so when I was younger, I remember getting very upset at my sisters Mm -hmm. and lashing out and being, I'm ashamed to say physical Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. I'm not anymore. um, And I haven't been for many, many years, but I didn't like that side of me. Um, And it obviously had nothing to do with the fact that my sister turned left when I said right. Mm -hmm. It was (laughs) Mm. something else. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I recognized very quickly, I did not like that part of me and I didn't want that to continue happening. So I remember that's the first time I went to therapy and that's strictly what I worked on. And then when I got my reactions kind of under control, then I stopped. (laughs) 
Yeah. Going no contact is about getting space to be able to do deeper work because you can't get the thing resolved with the person. You can't get the thing mm -hmm. resolved. So a lot of the work happens after going no contact. Mm -hmm. And um, getting to that is a huge, sometimes getting to, to no contact is like a decades long process. Then yeah. once you're in it, there's a lot of reparenting work that needs to kind of happen. There's a lot of grief work that's going to be coming up. So that third part of, of community is just people need a lot of support in that. A lot of support because it's just like without that kind of support, they might be like sort of like, well, I guess I could talk to mom again and try to go to Thanksgiving this year. Mm -hmm. And then they yes. get clobbered. Yes. Now it's like worse because you broke my heart when you sent me that letter and blah, 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 blah. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. it's just, we just need a lot of support through that stuff. Yeah. And uh, Haley, thank you for bringing this in and thank you for your openness. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, it's kind of crazy in the way that this was a really enjoyable conversation over a really shitty topic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, that's just odd like that. Yeah. 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 I wanted to thank you both Carvel for, you know, hosting and just providing this opportunity and Patrick for agreeing to speak to a nobody. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> that's not true. That's your kid again. Is that inner you child? You, you can't come into this room and call yourself a nobody. That's not happening. We're not allowing that. See, this is community. Um, yeah, this is community. That's exactly what I was going to say, which is that part of the reason I love this conversation is because this work is hard to do alone. And I'm glad that we, at least, even for 90 minutes, got to do some of this together. And um, what I love is that we will also be now sharing this work with you know all of our listeners um, who, who won't feel so alone too. So that's why we're here. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I just wanna thank both of you for making that possible. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, hope, uh, I hope it's beneficial. Yeah, it will be. I keep thinking about that thing Patrick said. It's your inner child doing the dating. So much of the work that we have in navigating childhood trauma as adults is that the child who was traumatized continues to yell for attention and care and healing. And when it's ignored, that child can take over the whole operation and lead us to some really painful consequences. This is one of the functions of forming safe community with other survivors, because together we are building the kind of family that we needed to help parent that child that wasn't cared for by the family that we had. It's slow, patient work, sometimes difficult and confusing. Sometimes we make mistakes and allow people to hurt us. Sometimes we misread the cues terribly and end up in pain, but then we get back up and try again. Just like a kid learning to ride a bike. I mean, we cry a little, we make sure we get a good hug, we let our wounds heal, and then we return. Does your inner child have a problem that needs solving? Send us a note at howtoatslate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001 and we might have you on the show. 
How To's executive producer is Derek John. Joel Meyer is our senior editor. The show is produced by Rosemary Belson with Kevin Bendis and Jabari Butler. Merritt Jacob is senior technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. Courtney Martin is my co-host. And I'm Carvel Wallace. Thanks for listening.